0: All right, well, good to see all of you this morning. Some of you weren't here Friday night. Uh, glad to see you here this morning. Glad to see the fellas from Teen Challenge here this morning. Missed you all last night. Really did. We missed you. You're usually here on Friday night, but I think, what did you do? You went to a, a prayer meeting or said what? a roundup? Oh, I see. So a whole group of y'all together. I see. Okay. All right. Well, right. Good. Fine. Well, this morning, <clears throat> we're continuing with what we did last night. Last night, we spoke about the ministry of God's Holy Spirit in birthing us into the kingdom of God. And we talked about that. You must be born again, which again, Using the analogy of birth, and I'll ask all the fellows who weren't here last night because they may not know the answers. The rest of us know the answers. How many of y'all have been born physically? How many of y'all have not been born yet physically? Some of you look like, oh, I'm not sure about that, but whatever. You know, I'm just just making sure that all of you have been Born. All of you are alive this morning. How many of you Now listen, Jesus used this analogy and he used it to teach us something not only about getting into heaven, if you would, but how we are brought into heaven. He just doesn't say, uh, well, let me tell you about this. He's very specific. He's a surgeon with words and he says, uses his words as a surgeon would his instruments very specifically and very carefully and very strategically. And so, what he says, he means. So, well, y'all again, how many of you are here today physically because of your decision? How many of you made a decision to be born? Did you make a decision to be born? What's your name? We got to know you. How many of you made a decision to be born? Really? How many of you did that? How many of you said, I want to be born? D- did you? Did you make a decision? I want to be born? You did? That's why you got born? Where are you from? Born here. Where? Born here. Born here. This guy, this is Tommy Hill. He used, you know, he used to be here. We put him out. Now you know why (laughs) you didn't make a decision. A decision was made and you were born. How do we get into the kingdom of heaven? God makes the decision, sends the Holy Spirit, births us into the kingdom of heaven. And when he does that, we cooperate with that internal work of the Holy Spirit, bringing us into the kingdom of heaven by doing what John one thirteen says. And as to as many as what? Received him. To them he gave the authority to become the children of God, even to those who do what? Believe on his name. Do you remember that scripture? We talked about that, John one thirteen. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Hey, Anthony, how you doing? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, bringing us into the kingdom. Now, this morning we're going to talk about what is God's purpose in this? What is God's purpose? Why has God saved us? For everyone who is sitting here today and you have been born again, you have received the Holy Spirit, you have received Christ. Why has that happened? What is God's purpose? And bringing you into the kingdom of heaven. Well, I think it's in your notes. I'm not quite sure all the time what's in the notes. But do you have Romans eight twenty nine in your notes? We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. Is that in your notes? Yes or no? Okay, Romans eight twenty nine. Why have you been born again? We have been born again by the Holy Spirit. So as children of God in whom the spirit now lives, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a born again believer. And that's redundant, but we say it that way. It is the spirit of the ministry of the spirit of God to take us and re if you would form us into the image of God's own son. That's why you have been born again. And God is after something here. He is so working in our lives by the Spirit that the way we walk our daily manner of life is to be progressively looking more and more like the Lord Jesus. More and more like the Lord Jesus. Now, God is very much, oh, sorry, let's say it this way. We are very much like God is. God wants us to be, God has the same aspiration for us as we have for our children. How many of you, I'm going to pick on you again. You know, you're just an easy target. Oh, Joe here. Do You have two grandsons. Now, do you want, what? Three. Okay, you have three grandsons. You have any granddaughters? One on the way. way. That's really nice. I like that. Do you want your grandchildren to be ordinary? Just ordinary people. Oh, wait, wait. You want them to be what? More than than that. How many of you want your children? I just, I have a daughter and four grandchildren. I just want them to be ordinary. That's all. You have children? Two daughters. Do you want them to be ordinary? How many of you just want you know, I just want them to be just kind of ordinary people, you know, kind of getting along in life or whatever. Why? What do you want? Do you have children? What do you want for your children? To be ordinary or what? Ah, extraordinary. Extraordinary, let me say it that way. Well, extraordinary, extraordinary. Why do you want your children to be extraordinary? Why? Because you love your children. You see, I have a daughter and four grandchildren, and I'm always going to crow. About my children. I call my grandchildren my children. They are my children by a next generation. I'm always going to crow about my children. Always it's going to happen. It is in me as a dad and a grandfather. To crow about the five greatest people on earth. Whom I have begotten. My grandchildren and my daughter. They are the five greatest people on earth. As far as I'm concerned. Years ago. My daughter's 50 years old. She was graduating in those days from, what do you call it, middle school, from the eighth grade going into high school. And so we were in an assembly. And the head of the school got up and says, we're going to give an award out, which we don't do every year, but we give it out to an exceptional student who is exceptional, has good grades, not just straight A's, good grades, you know. But also exceptional in the way it was all girls school, the way she relates to other girls and how she is with, you know, just that general exceptional person. So they're starting to talk about this and that and the other thing. And I'm looking at my wife and I'm saying, well, I don't know if that's Ashley. It's not that I don't want it to happen. I just don't know whether they see that exceptionalness in her now. We're all sitting there in an auditorium. And so they say, the name of the student is Ashley Davidson. (laughs) I have a lot of problems. But one of them is not being heard. When they call my daughter's name out, I went, whoa. (laughs) no. No, no, I did. Just like that. I did. Everybody turns around. My wife is kind of getting under the chair. And I'm sitting there, Gary. They're going to see who the daddy is. Why? Because that's my daughter you're talking about. That's my daughter that got the award. You see? My daughter. Years later. When my oldest granddaughter is graduating from high school in a very large auditorium, because it's lusher, it's a large school, they're giving out awards. And my wife says, don't say anything if she gets, you know, this same kind of award. Don't say anything. (laughs) I told her, I said, Just hold your ears if it happens. (laughs) Hold your ears. The only way I'm going to shut up is they take my voice box out of my throat. (laughs) Don, they're going to hear me. Can you hear me today? And when they called out the name, Emily said logic. The auditorium heard a boom. Of a grandpa. Who let everybody know that's my granddaughter when my grandson graduated from lusher we went to i think they call it the awards banquet is that what they call it where they give all out all, all these academic awards he won more himself than all the others in the class won that's my grandson jonathan he got the majority of the wards for scholarship. Shall I continue with how great my grandchildren are? <laughs> are you beginning to understand how I feel about my grandchildren? Do you, you get it? Do you get it? Now, here's the question. Am I overdoing it? If this is the truth, and it is, am I overdoing it? What's your name again? Emily, that's the name of my uh, oldest granddaughter. Have I ever told you that? I've told you that? Oh, I didn't know that. I I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You know, anybody else named Emily in here? Any of you guys, Emily? Any Jonathans over there? Man, y'all are really, you know. Is there something wrong with, I know there is, but in this category, is there something wrong with me seriously? Is there anything wrong with me by being pumped about my family? No. I want you to feel this. I know I take a little time in things. I'm slow. And at my age, I'm getting slower. I want you to be getting this on the inside. Not as just an intellectual something, but I want you to feel this. Don't ever anybody ever touch my grandchildren or my wife or my daughter incorrectly. Do you get the feeling? Don't lay a hand on them. And if I can't take care of it, we get some what we call fingertip men barely in the kingdom of God. (laughs) We'll talk to someone who might want to earn a few dollars to say. Can you go and encourage that person who just put their hand on my wife not to do it again? We're going to ask, you see, because it's my family. It's my family. I hope every one of you feel this way about your families. And don't even begin to think that your families are greater than mine. That's not happening. But, but at least in your category. <laughs> Why am I saying this? Because you see. It's God's desire. That each one of us. His sons and daughters. Live in. First of all, just because these children are my children, that makes them, in my mind, extraordinary. Do you understand that? They're not extraordinary because they do something, and if they don't do something, therefore they're not extraordinary. They are extraordinary because they belong to me. Does everybody see that? But then that extraordinariness of belonging to me is accentuated. Is enlarged, is manifested in them living away in a way that demonstrates that they are my extraordinary grandchildren. Do we see that? You got it? If my daughter had never won that award, she'd still be my extraordinary daughter. My granddaughter, my grandson, etc., had never won the awards, they would still be extraordinary. But they manifest that extraordinariness through These issues in life. Why has God saved us? So that. In us. Listen to where I'm saying it. So that in me. In you. In our walk. In our conversation. In our attitudes. In our responses. In what we do and what we don't do. That in us. The extraordinariness of his own son, Jesus Christ, is manifested in me. So that when someone sees any of us and says, that is an extraordinary man or woman. God the Father is saying, yes, because we are extraordinary because of the presence of, and the ministry of God's Spirit in us. Do we get it? You see, I'm not talking about me, myself, old man Davidson, being extraordinary just because in my humanity. I have living in me, and each one of us who have been born again have living in us the one unique, most extraordinary human, if you would, God man who ever lived. And his name is the Lord Jesus, and he is in us by the Holy Spirit. We have the extraordinary presence of God in us. And what God is doing in us and what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is, is to begin to manifest or pour out, if you would, that extraordinary revelation of his Son. Therefore, we are being daily by the Spirit conformed to the image of this extraordinary man Whose name is Jesus? Now look at yourself. You get up in the morning and you look in the mirror. And you see, you can do that and still not be that challenged when I do it. No, no, just think. You're the mirror, and you've had a nice evening, nice, quiet, dark, and all of a sudden. 5.30 5.30 in the morning, the light goes on. Okay. And then the next thing you see is, hi, this face. <laughs> now, if that doesn't crack up the mirror, nothing will. I've always said the mirror is a bad reflection on me. It's, it's whatever. Look at yourself. How many of you really think in your natural person, you are extraordinary? Any extraordinary beauties in this room? Really? Seriously? In the natural? No. Any extraordinary physiques in this room? No. Any extraordinary intellects in this room? No. You see, when we look around, and when I look at you, and especially when you look at me, this is either just a a set of very ordinary or subordinary people. Some of us are subordinary. I'm not saying anything to you, Gary. I'm just looking at you. And so when they look at me, when they see y'all, just when they see you, there'll someone say, oh, look at that extraordinary person. Stand on the street con- corner and in a good way, see how many people say you're extraordinary. You think that's going to happen? You're just standing on the street corner. Hmm? You, you think that's going to happen? <laughs> you, you think it's going to happen? <gasps> you're extraordinary. Not in a negative way, but you know, really. No. People are going to pass you by. Your name is Maurice, isn't it? Yeah. I'm quick. I'm real quick. I can see your name there. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I, thank you a lot. They're, they're going to just pass you by because you are not extraordinary. Look at me. If I'm standing on the street, car, uh, street corner, you're going to stop and say, <gasps> look at this. No. It's not happening. Years ago, 1958, I was in high school. What? (laughs) Did you hear it? It's quite a few years ago. (laughs) You said a few, I thought you meant like three. You dirty old (laughs) man. Why don't you change your name to Brenda? (laughs) Somebody else. (laughs) Oh, my word. Quite a few years ago. Anybody else in high school in the 50s? That lady's old over there. (sighs) And so in 58... I was raised by my aunt and uncle. My mother left us, but that was another story. And they bought a car. Do you have a photo of it? Of what it looked like? We're looking for the photo now. but It'll come up there. Now look, look at it. Wait, wait. Don't see it as from today's angle. See it from 1958. Okay. What? Oh, all cars had white walls. I mean, yet it was unusual to get a black wall tire in those days. I'm like, well, what is that? It was an automatic. It had air conditioning. Wow. Wow! No, not, not, every, not every car was automatic and had air conditioning in those days. This was not a given. This was not a given. We all had AM radios. Once in a while, you had an FM radio. This was a different era. Totally different. Now, look at that car. It's a 1958 Ford station wagon. Now, don't see it as an antique, but see it as sitting in your driveway in 1958. When you walk out, do you say, look at that car. Oh, oh, man, I wish I had one. How many of you feel that way about that car? You're strange. Not you. Back to She lives she works in north no, no uptown Saint-Bernard. I worked in Saint Saint-Bernard. Saint, Saint Bernard. Yeah, in the parishes. There's nothing extraordinary about this car. Nothing. Not even then, really, a 58 station wagon which is a common everyday station wagon. Everybody had, you know, there was nothing like, I never have seen one like that. It's just a common car. In fact, it was on the lower end of expense. Ford. Fix or repair daily. You've heard of Ford. I mean, it wasn't a Lincoln. It wasn't a Cadillac. It wasn't an Imperial. Remember the Imperial Chrysler's? It wasn't anything like that. It was a Ford. So, okay, it's a fine, you know, it's all right. But there was something extraordinary about this car that you didn't see until you got in the car and turn on the engine and hit the accelerator. You see, the external view of the car was ordinary, but there was something extraordinary under the hood. In those days, as today, police departments ordered Ford's, Chevrolet's, whatever cars, but I think it was basically Ford's they're talking about, ordered their cars with what they called, what was it, Frank? The Interceptor Engine. It was a very powerful V8 engine. So when you turn on the uh, the engine, you lost four gallons of gas just like that. <laughs> you know, there it goes. It's called, have you all heard of the Interceptor engine? They still make it, I think, in Ford, uh, what do you call them, uh, Explorers. I don't know, you know, the extent of it, but they do. The Ford Interceptor. And so, you know, it was On there, interceptor, okay, okay, it's an interceptor. What does that mean? I don't know, it's just an interceptor. When my aunt and uncle bought the car, there were only five of these on the lot, and they said, okay, we'll buy that one. They didn't know they were getting a Ford interceptor engine. They were just buying a Ford. And occasionally, I would get to drive it. In those days, at least in our family, we didn't have a car for me. It was a family car that occasionally I would use. And so if I went out on a date, I went out on the streetcar or took the bus. Really different days in those days. Can you imagine that today? So I get in the car and drive around. There's something unusual under the hood. Well, one night... I'm coming back from somewhere. I don't remember when it was, but I remember it was nighttime. And I remember where I was. I'm on the corner of Canal and North Galvez. Does everybody know kind of where that is? Anybody kind of know when, you know, where Galvez crosses Canal Street toward the downtown area? I'm sitting there at the light. Now, look at me. Do I look like a racer? Come on, come on. Don't you see it? Any of you fellows over there see the, the daringness in me? It's not there, is it? I see your, your face. It's just kind of like, hmm, look at this. <laughs> look at this. I see it. Look at this dopey old man. He thinks, you know, I can see it. I like that. No, no, it's the truth. I like it. And so up comes next to me this young fellow. I'm a young fella too. And he has one of these, vroom, 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 vroom. and he stops at the light and vroom, vroom, vroom. That was his car, by the way, not his stomach. And he looks at me, you know, gives me one of those challenging looks. You ever have one? Why don't you try it? And I look at him, hi. <laughs> you know, I'm a geek or something. I look at him and he looks at me. And so the light changes. I hit that accelerator. <laughs> now today, if you go back on the corner of North Galvez and Canal Street, there's some old guy in a souped-up car still like this. He still, want, I left him. <laughs> Here is this station wagon out dragging. I don't know what, what, what he had, but it was souped. It was he, I, I, I left him. Vroom! Now, I don't believe he went home and told everybody that he was out dragged by a station wagon. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? So when he looked at my car, or my aunt's car, he saw the exterior as ordinary, but then he realized something what? This was an extraordinary car with an ordinary exterior. Because it had an engine here that was powerful. It had the power of an engine to do in this car. What most other cars could not do. And you see. The Holy Spirit is being. Has been given to us. To be the powerful engine. Of God's presence. To do in us. What others cannot have done. In them. We had the power of God's engine. His interceptor. Holy Spirit in us, if you would. There's no one else on earth except the children of God who have this kind of an engine. Nobody else. And God has given it to us so we can, if you would, outdrag all the other folks in the world so they will know, listen to me, that they will know. That there is a God who is in heaven and who resides in us by his spirit. And this God is God, an extraordinary God. They will know this. But you see, you would only have known this, that there was an interceptor engine in this car. Had it been driven in a way to manifest the power had i just barely touched the accelerator and moved along and this guy would have gone on beyond me he would never have seen anything or witnessed or experienced anything extraordinary but when i hit the accelerator i left him he i'm gone i, I don't uh, by the way i never did find out where he went uh, I, I just didn't and this is what god wants We are God's 58 station wagon, an ordinary group of people. That's who we are. We're just an ordinary group of people. Don't think too highly of yourselves. We're ordinary. Outwardly ordinary, but under the hood, inside of us, extraordinary. And this is what happens only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this quote from Acts uh, Acts chapter 4, where the disciples ordinary people Peter and John and Paul I mean Peter and John and James these are ordinary men we make them extraordinary because we have read the extraordinary work. What's extraordinary in them is not who they are. It's who God is in them. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Have you seen these fellows standing on the streetcar? would—I mean, street, you would just pass them by. Just ordinary looking guys. But listen to what it says here in Acts 4.13. And when they, the crowd, when the crowd saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were ordinary men they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. There was something about their lives that spoke clearly that these men were like that man whom we crucified. We've seen in these men that man Jesus whom we crucified but who is, has to be alive today because they, we see Jesus in them. You see, it's one of the proofs of the resurrection power. See, God has us as the display of his ordinary, extraordinary love and grace. Would we say that each of the disciples... And each of us needs to be empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Would you agree with that today? Would all of y'all agree with that? But would you think that even Jesus himself had to be empowered by the Spirit? Even Jesus himself had to be empowered by the Spirit. Do you remember the story? John is baptizing in the wilderness. He's calling the people to repent. And one day coming down from the crowd is one man and John sees him and he recognizes this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the Messiah. And Jesus comes to John and John baptizes Jesus. You remember the story in Luke three twenty-two, And when Jesus goes under the waters of baptism and when he comes up out of the waters again, what does the Bible say? The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Do you remember that? What was happening? God was uh, what? what word I want, giving his authority and authenticating and initiating the work of the gospel that Jesus would carry out for the next several years of his life. Jesus had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that. The Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived and bare a son. His name was Jesus. But at the age of 30, he comes to the wilderness. Not to receive the Holy Spirit because he already had the Holy Spirit. We're not talking today about getting the Holy Spirit because everyone in here who was a child of God already has the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. You have been birthed into the kingdom of God, so let's make the distinction. Jesus already had the Spirit when he comes to the Jordan. He wasn't coming to get the Holy Spirit, as some people say. He had the Holy Spirit, therefore he came to the Jordan. And when he comes there and comes out of the water the spirit of god descends on him and he receives the power of the holy spirit he goes into the wilderness and what happens there for 40 days and 40 nights he's without food and at the end of the time jesus meets the tempter and he is tempted remember the greatest spiritual battle That was to occur until Gethsemane where Jesus overcame the temptations of Satan that Adam succumbed to what Adam failed to do. Jesus accomplished in the wilderness and at the end of the period in Luke 4 1 through 2 Jesus full of the Holy Spirit was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and for 40 days being tempted. And he was anointed with power of the spirit in order to overcome the temptations of the devil. And when he had finished and defeated the enemy, he came out of the Holy Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus defeat Satan in the wilderness? How did he do it? How did he do it? He had been filled. He already had the spirit. Do we see that? He already has the spirit. But he's now being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for ministry. And he goes into the wilderness. And he overcomes every temptation of Satan. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Is this written in your notes? He ministered to people's needs. Do you see that? Let's read through that together. This is. This encapsulates, if you would, or at least summarizes partially the ministry of Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. He ministered to people's needs. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He cast out demons, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He fed thousands, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He healed diseases, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He forgave sin, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He raised the dead, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He went to the cross, how? How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He rose from the dead. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has saved each one of us today. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus did not minister in his own personal power. He relied upon And cooperated with and obeyed the internal work of God's Spirit as God empowered him in his thoughts, in his words, and in his deeds. The Spirit of God, who lived in this man, Jesus Christ, empowered his thoughts, his words, Now you see, when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, typically what we're talking about, most people think, is the power to heal. Or the power to do great miracles. Is that part of it? Yes. But is that the biggest part of it? We are talking about today calling upon the Holy Spirit To empower us some for the first time some for the 38th time some for the hundredth time I I ask regularly for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit I don't know how often I have been doing this for years why because if I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working in me I cannot control my thoughts Control my attitude. Watch my language. I was raised in the streets like some of you. Control my feelings. I can't do it. I can't do it. Trust me, I have been saved since 1964. I'm 78 years old. I have been a minister in this church for over 30 years. I cannot do it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no way that if I didn't feel the Holy Spirit would empower me and anoint me today that I would be standing here. Frank Gloria would be doing this today. There is no way on earth that I would be doing this today unless I knew, not because of how great I am, but because of how faithful and great God is, that he will minister in power today. Do you hear that? Do you hear this? This is not about Me or you, it's about God. It's about the glory of his son who lives in us to be manifested in power. So the power of the Holy Spirit is given to me and to each one of us mostly to empower my thoughts by the Spirit, my words by the Spirit, my actions by the Spirit my desires by the spirit my whatever by the spirit and in that empowerment will come works of miracles and great things but god has not given us the great spirit empower just to do a few miracles the miracle is my experiencing And manifesting in me the transforming work of God's spirit. Do we see that today? So we're not talking about calling upon God for his power. So thank God I can. And so there are things I need in my life. You know, you may not believe this. But overcoming sin in this man is not automatic. Are you with me on that? How many of you automatically overcome temptation? Automatically. It comes in just. Anybody here? How many of you really. Occasionally or sometimes or often. You are really undergoing a battle. In temptations. Am I the only one who has to battle with temptations? Am I the only one? I was sharing with Frank yesterday, I think it was. I'll give you an example of a battle that I have that you may not have because you're not a preacher, if you would. Or you may have it. I spend time praying and waiting on God and hopefully hearing from him and putting together what we may call a lesson or sermon, whatever. My biggest concern is that it won't be from God, and it has to be because you're not interested in anything personally that I would have to say to you. Nothing will help you except God, nothing, and I have to battle against This isn't anything. It's no good. It's not going anywhere. You should. Just the other day, the thought kept coming to me, kept coming to me. You know, why don't you stop being a pastor because you're not effective? You're just not getting it done, if you would. That's a battle in me. Just resign and just live your life, you know, as a non-pastor, just a member of the church. Just stop this. Or after I do something, you know, whether it's Alpha, whether it's here, whether it's sermon, Sunday school, whatever it is, so often the battle will be in me. That was junk. That was terrible. Nobody liked it. It didn't help anybody. You wasted your time. It's a constant bombardment in me. I get raked over the coals in many areas of my life by the enemy. And the only way I can withstand those and continue to function is by the power of God's Spirit. Because I cannot resist any temptation whatsoever at any time without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Are you following me on this? It's your phone, Don. It's your phone. That was to help keep Don awake. There you go. Even the disciples, Jesus said, "Wait in Jerusalem. remember the after the resurrection. How many of you know Acts 1-8? Come on, all of y'all should know that. That's almost an, a mantra for a Teen Challenge. Acts 1-8, what does it say? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember that? Acts 1-8. Jesus says to the disciples, Stay. Don't go out and start ministering yet. Don't you go out into these streets yet. Don't you do that. You've been with me three years, but don't do it yet. You're not ready. Why? Because they didn't have the spirit. They had the spirit, but they weren't ready to minister yet because the power of the spirit had not been given to them for the specific purpose of ministry. He says, you wait because you are going to be clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You are going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Do you remember he said that? So they remain in Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, what happened? About the ninth hour. What is it in the ninth hour? Whatever. I've forgotten the hour. It was in the morning. The Holy Spirit struck and came across, upon all these believers. And they were filled with his presence, his power. And they began to do what Annette did, say funny things, speak in funny languages, began to prophesy. And they came out among the people. It was Pentecost, and there were thousands of visitors in the town. It's like Carnival Day. And everybody began to hear them speaking in languages. And they began to say, what is this? What is going on here? Now, the apostle Peter, remember Peter? Remember Peter a few weeks before when he was in the garden and Jesus was being arrested. And a little girl says, you're a disciple Jesus. No, no, Peter said, no, 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 not me, not me, no, 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 you have it wrong. Then she says again, you are a disciple. He says, I told her it's not me doing that. And the third time he said, oh, blah, 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 I don't know the man. What a courageous man. This is who Peter is in the natural. This is who Peter is without the power of the Holy Spirit. He's a loud mouth vacillating ding ding. You may have seen some of those. You may have heard some of those. Andy, I know what you're thinking. You're taking notes. But Once the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him this Man who cowered before a little servant girl. This man who cowered before a little servant girl stood before a crowd of thousands of many of whom in that crowd had crucified Jesus. And he says, you crucified the Lord of glory. Something happened. To embolden this man from cowering in the corner to face the multitudes without any concern about his own safety, being overwhelmed and consumed with the power of the Holy Spirit. To throw into their faces their own guilt. What happened? What happened? He was filled with the power of God. How many of you want to be filled like this and to experience this? Remember the Apostle Paul. I recommend for you 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think it's in your notes, but I'll just reference it. In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul is having to defend his apostleship. He has to defend himself against these accusations from these people. Why? Not because, hey, you said something nasty about me, and I need to defend myself. Paul never, ever defended himself from what people said about him personally. It had nothing to do with him because he knew personally none of this was about him. It was about God. But once his apostleship, you don't speak well, you have bad doctrine, you're you're vacillating, you're lying. That was an attack against his apostolic authority and truth. And he had to defend it because the entire gospel that he preached was dependent upon his uh, apostolic authority not being undermined. If you can undermine that, then you can say everything he's taught is no good. You see what I'm talking about. So he says in chapter twelve, he says, Look, I knew a man one time. I know somebody. Now I don't know whether this man was in the spirit or not, but he was on the you know, taken up into the heavenlies, into the third heaven, into paradise. And he was shown some extremely significant and important and incredible revelations. And he said, On on behalf of that kind of a man I will boast. Then if you remember the chapter in verse 7, he says what? There was given to me. Ah, he's talking about himself, Taylor. He's been talking about himself. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. What else does it say? A what? A messenger of Satan to do what? To do what? Buffet me. Why? 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 Tommy, you're right to humble him. Now get the picture. The Apostle Paul has been taken by the Holy Spirit. Whether in the spirit or physically, he doesn't know and neither do we. But he is taken by the Holy Spirit into the very presence of Jesus himself. Remember Galatians he said I met Jesus and so on. I was taught by Jesus. Remember chapter 1 and he is before the Lord of glory himself and it's as if Jesus says Paul sit down and take some notes because I want to teach you what everything is about and I want to give you the revelation of my work upon the earth which is the church which y'all will hear about next alpha next week. The church God's greatest work through the greatest work of his son the church God's greatest work of the greatest work of his son the church so Paul gets this revelation and he has a zeal I'm going to preach this and so he comes back now get this here is a man who is ready to minister and so he gets back and he says look I have a mission I have a purpose in life I have this message, and I am going to minister it. So he girds himself up, gets ready, and he starts down the road of life. And he stops for a second and says, oh, wait, wait, wait. I can't go any further. I can't go any further. I got something sticking in my side. (laughs) How many of us have a particular something wrong with us? That we ask God regularly to get it out of us. Anybody at all? You have a sin issue and you say, please, God, get rid of this. Anything? Anybody? Am I the only one who's ever done this? Get it out of me. That's the way the natural mind thinks. Paul says, I entreated the Lord, what? Do you know the scriptures? What? Three times I said, Lord, get this thing out of me. Why? Because it is inhibiting me. It's in my way. It gets me down. It's hurting me. I'm failing. It is overcoming me. I can't live the Christian life because of this issue in my life. And if only I had this thing out of my life, then I could really do some stuff for Jesus. Do you think that way? Come on. Hey, guys, you all think that way? The rest of us, do we think that way? Certainly we do. And what does the Lord answer him? You remember verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 of 2 Corinthians 12? What does the Lord say? I'm going to put it in New Orleans language. Nope. Get it out of me. Nope. Get it out of me. Nope. Get it out of me. Nope. The Lord says no. What does he say? Because why? My what? Grace is made perfect or completed in weakness. In other words, that thing which is so obstructing in your life. God has created us with that thing in our lives as a weakness. Where do you think it came from? You got it from your mom and them. Where'd they get it? From their mom and them all the way back. Who created mom and them's? God does. God gave us weaknesses specifically so that in the midst of these weaknesses, we learn that we need the power of God's spirit to overcome these weaknesses. And in the midst of these weaknesses, show that God's Power is supreme, even over our biggest problem, don't you see? Do you see that? And Paul, when he saw that, says, (gasps) he says, thank God when I'm weak. Thank God, because when I'm weak, what? Then am I strong, strong with the strength of God. This is the work of God's power in me. We have much wrong with us in the natural. All of us are filled with issues of sin. In the natural man. In fact, Paul calls this body a body of sin. But we have been given the spirit. And ours today. Is to do this. Are you convinced by now that you need more power to deal with just the little things in life, let alone the big things? Do you see that you need more power? Do you see you need more power? You know, if we're not effectively by the spirit dealing with the minor, what we call the little issues of life. The big issues are always going to crush us. God's power is manifested, begins to deal with the daily little issues of life so that we are being prepared to depend upon him and yield to him and cooperate with him when the big issues come down the road. And too many of us are more concerned with that major issue And not concerned with all the other issues. Thinking that the other issues are not important. It's just this one big issue in my life that has controlled me. And that's bad thinking. It's not biblical thinking. Those little issues are feeding the big issues. So today, we're going to spend the next several minutes in praying. Have you come to a place that you're realizing I need to ask God for more power. So I ask it this way: Are you satisfied with the power that you have, with the level of cooperation with the Holy Spirit that you're experiencing today? Are you satisfied? Anybody satisfied? I don't need any more. Do you want more? Do we need more? Yes. So I'm going to ask you to let's pray. Just just bow your heads and start praying and ask the Holy Spirit not to make you great, but to make Jesus great in you. Not to make you extraordinary, but to manifest the extraordinary person of the Lord Jesus in us. Not to give us power over a particular area of sin, but to empower our every thought, word and deed so that our life totally and fully manifests the presence of God's glorious, extraordinary Son. We need His power. We need His power. So today, let's start praying. Father, fill me with the power of the Spirit. Fill me with Your Spirit. Baptize me. We're not going to quibble about what words You use. Just Holy Spirit, would You do an extraordinary work in me? Would You begin A work in me that every day will grow and grow and grow I am here today I am confessing I have have to have your power or I have to have more of your power I have to have it I cannot walk sufficiently in Christ unless I have greater power I must have your power just begin to pray and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you as you pray. Don't think about other things. The enemy's going to try to involve himself and get you to think about today and tomorrow and next week. And tell him, shut your big mouth. I am not going with you. I am going to continue to concentrate on, Father, I need the power of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, empower me. Fill me today. Fill me with your power. Let's pray. I'm just going to pray for us. You pray individually for yourself, father. Fathers, we assemble today as they did even on the day of Pentecost. Father, your people were gathered together by your leading, your people, the people whom you saved, your disciples and the other folks. And they were gathered together, father, and you came upon them in power on that day to initiate the greatest work of creation, even a greater work than what happened in Genesis 1.1. You've created us in Christ as a new people, an eternal people. Father, thank you for that. And you filled these men and these women and these young people and these older people with your power. And they went out into the world and the world was shaken to its foundation. As ordinary people came forth in the extraordinary power of God to withstand the insults of their neighbors. To triumph over the financial difficulties of their lives. To not submit to their government ungodly regulations of worshiping Caesar. Of Overcoming temptations of impurity and gossip and pride and anger and frustration. Father, this is what you began in them. And Father, what you desire to do in us in a greater way. So that when people see us, they can say of us what they said of the disciples in Acts 4. They have been with Jesus. Father, what is the worth of our life? Each one of us will stand before you one day. And the only thing that's going to matter is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. What did you accomplish? What of your son was manifested in me? That's the only thing you're going to be interested in. The manifestation of your son. Of your son. Father, convince our hearts. Fill us with your power today as we continue to pray, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, cause us, your spirit, to work in us with the experience of your presence, Father. Move in us in an extraordinary way this morning, Father. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. You feel like praying aloud? Pray aloud. You don't have to be quiet. I'm not quiet. Thank you, Lord. If you feel the Holy Spirit moving upon you and you want to express that openly, feel free to do that. It's okay. We don't bind you. We don't put regulations on you. The only regulation is you're free in the spirit and obey the leading of the spirit. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. More power, Holy Spirit. Fill us with more power. More greater anointing. Controlling more and more. My thoughts to be in concert with yours. My attitude to be reflective of your attitude. My will, my desires to be in cooperation with your will and desire, Father. Being able to do what Jesus did in the wilderness to resist the devil. To resist him and to cast him out. To overcome every and any temptation whatsoever every time. To walk in freedom from being dominated and controlled by our flesh. To hear your word clearly in our hearts. To hear your mind. To be having your discernment, your wisdom in us flowing through us, Holy Spirit. To being led by you, protected by you, instructed by you, warned by you corrected by you holy spirit we need your power we need your power to be people in the workplace that we are walking in a way and relating in a way and working in a way that our bosses will see or our customers will see you've been with jesus this is not natural natural people don't act like this they can't this is supernatural Father, manifest Jesus in us in a greater way. Thank you, Father. Glory to your name, O Lord. Praise your name.